You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. I'm going to introduce our guest speaker today. It's not me. It's not really a guest, but uh, this person is definitely special. Um, talking about Sheila Thompson. Uh, she walked into a uh, church service like this. Uh, she had just graduated uh, with her diploma in early childhood education, and she's from the Kitchener-Waterloo area, and she walked in. She had just graduated. She went to school here in Toronto and then and had been a part of this uh, ministry just like this at the University of Waterloo. And uh, she felt called to join a 10-member church planting team to move all the way across the country to Vancouver, British Columbia, and plant a church like this at the University of British Columbia. And there they ran into this uh, second-year student named Bert Thompson who really needed help. And, uh, and they helped them. And uh, he gave his life to the Lord and has been following God since. Uh, after several years there in Vancouver, we, were, we met, we married, we had our first two children there, and then we felt the call of God to move to Calgary. And so Sheila and I together pioneered U Church at the University of Calgary, and it's still going strong there. Then we moved all the way down to Nashville, Tennessee. We were invited by Rice Brooks, who's my spiritual father and one of the co-founders of Every Nation uh, ministries to help build up our North American office. And there she continued to minister and started a ministry there called Mom Builders, uh, which uh, was a ministry and an outreach to young moms. And it's still going on today, even though that we've been here in Canada for four years, that ministry continues on. So uh, without any further ado, I'm just going to turn it over to Sheila to preach. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we are on week three of our Christmas series, Redemption, My Redeemer. We're, we're going through the book of Ruth, um, which is exciting to me because two things I love. I love the story of Ruth, and I love Christmas. So um, to be able to do those things hand in hand together, it uh, I like it. So um, today... Redemption is our series, and our topic today is My Redeemer. And Redeemer, I was thinking, we don't use the word redeem very often. In fact, I think probably the most of the time we use the word redeem is things like this. Like I have my PC points, PC plus, and I like to redeem my PC plus because they give me actual dollars and cents off my groceries. And I have my Starsky card. I, Starsky's a po Polish grocery store in the Mississauga area, and they give me 2% off. I get to redeem that. And then this one's pretty useless. I hear if you ever watch the news, your air miles card, they're making it really hard for us Canadians to use our air miles. So uh, some people are cutting these up. Maybe I should do the same. And and I have a few more. Actually, I have a wallet full. I only pulled out seven. Um, but when we use the word redeem, or maybe it's your air miles. If you're a frequent flyer and you get to use and redeem your air miles for a hotel or a trip somewhere or a free flight, um, I like to... Um, I like free things. So when we use the word redeem in this day and age, that's what we think about. But we're going to turn back look back in time and talk about the word redeem or redeemer or redemption in light of how that word was seen and understood first in the book of Ruth, in the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and then with the coming or the advent of Jesus and his first birth. So, my redeemer, part three. 
We started week one with chapter one. The book of Ruth has four chapters. I hope that you've taken time over this Christmas season to actually uh, read through the book, or if you've got the U version app on your phone, there's a nice man that if you press a button, he'll actually read it to you. So that's what I've done a couple of times. I've listened through the book of Ruth. It takes 15 minutes. Um, I hope that you're following along. If you haven't, today's your chance. You know, go home today and read through it once again. Um, chapter one, the beginning of Ruth tells us about a man named Ahimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons in a time of famine in the land of Judah. They were from the town of Bethlehem. They had no food. So they moved to the country of Moab. The Moabites were typically the enemies of Israel. So it was an interesting move that he would, that they would go there, but we do desperate things in desperate times. They moved there. They actually lived there for 10 years. Their two sons took wives, Moabite wives, which once again was interesting because God had instructed his people not to marry outside of their Jewish faith. Time goes by. The father and both sons die, leaving three widows, Naomi, her daughter-in-law Ruth, her daughter-in-law Oprah. Somebody should have either made Oprah Orpah or Orpah Oprah, but her name was Orpah. Uh, yes, it was. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Um, so, uh, they head back to Judah. Along the trip, Orpah makes the decision to go back to her own people. But Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, makes an amazing declaration. She says, I don't want to leave you. Don't ask me to leave. I want your people to be my people. I want your God to be my God. I want to go where you go, and I want to die where you die. So off they go. They go back to the land of Bethlehem. That's chapter one. You know, widowhood was a social and economic tragedy, Widows lived a marginalized existence in extreme poverty. Widows often wore distinct garments, so everyone knew you are a widow. Uh, her inheritance rights were minimal. A widow such as Naomi with no sons, no apparent relatives, she was in a hopeless, she faced a dark and hopeless future. The laws of God, recorded in books of the Bible like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God had actually provided for the widow. Um, showing his care and concern. But the story of Ruth takes place at a time when Israel was actually being governed by judges. And if you know, or if you've ever read, and if you haven't, you should, that portion of the Bible uh, called the Book of Judges, where the, the, the sentence that sums that time in history up was that every man did was, was right in his own eyes. So that though Naomi was taking her daughter-in-law and going back to her homeland and her home country, which should have had laws to protect her, it was still an unknown future because every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. So in chapter 2, however, they return to Bethlehem and they see that still in practice was one of these laws that protected those who were destitute. And it was the law of gleaning. Now today we use the word glean, we'll say, um, you know something about an area of information that I know nothing about and I need a little bit of that, so I'm going to glean that information from you. But it's actually an agricultural term. So those who were um, reaping harv the harvest, they were to leave around the edges of their field some of that harvest so that the poor and the destitute, the alien, the orphan, the widow could go and actually get grain and get sustenance from that landowner's field. So we see in chapter two that 
Naomi instructs Ruth, her daughter-in-law, she says, we actually have a distant relative here and he's a guy named Boaz and he's well-to-do and he's got a field and go and glean there. Go and gather from around the edges some grain, some barley so that we don't starve. Uh, remember, Ruth is from a different country and culture, so this just might all be new to her, but yet she heeds, she listens to her mother-in-law's direction. So today, now we've made it to Ruth chapter 3, and we're looking, we're focusing on this idea of a redeemer. So we're going to pick up reading partway through chapter 3. But before we get there, Naomi has given Ruth further instruction regarding this distant relative, Boaz. First, she expresses her love and concern. She says, my daughter, she said, I want things to go well with you. Why would I not want the best for you? I have an idea. And so she says, she unfolds her plan to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Ruth says, all that you say, mom, I'm going to do. Well, I added the mom. It actually doesn't really say that. So let's begin in Ruth chapter 3, verse, reading verses 6 to 13. So she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor was the place where they took the, the grains and they actually separated the stock from the grain. And sometimes they were just an open flat area. Sometimes they were covered to protect their, the harvest, the produce. Um, okay, so they're down on the threshing floor. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down at midnight. The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, um, forget street lights and night lights and the glow of your alarm clock, and think of camping out in the middle of the nowhere of nowhere where there is no external light. So you can imagine in the pitch black, realizing that there's somebody at your feet. So um, when it says he was startled, I bet he was startled. Uh, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For, you, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. He's saying there's a relative that's probably closer in relation to you than I am. Um, but he says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will not redeem you, uh, uh, first of all, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So a few what, what's Ruth asking of Boaz? What do Ruth and Boaz need? She says an interesting thing to him. She says, spread your wings over me. Uh, what is she asking for? David, when he wrote in the psalm, Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm. It's a song. And, and it's a song about God's provision and protection for us, that God is our refuge, that that he's a, a safe place for us to go to. And when David wrote that song, he used that picture of God having wings. That 
were our protection, that God could cover us with his wings and give us safety. And even Jesus used that. He said when he looked at Jerusalem, he felt, he wished he could be like, you know, the mother bird or the mother hen that could take his people and cover them under his wings. So what do, what does that picture look like? Because that's all she asked him. She said, would you bring me, would you spread your wings over me? And he knew exactly what she was looking for. Because what were Naomi and Ruth in need of? They were in need of provision and protection and safety. Uh, they were in need of someone who, who could guarantee their future and their hope. So she asks him to bring them under her wings. And she says, you are a redeemer. Some translations don't just use the word redeemer. They use the word kinsman redeemer kinsman redeemer. Now, again, we don't use the word redeemer very often. We also don't use the word kinsman very often. Um, but a kinsman is a relative. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, well, we lived in the southern U.S. Bert and I went into a store shortly after we moved to Tennessee, and we went to pay for something with a card, and it had our, our surname Thompson on it. And uh, the clerk looks up at us and says, are you akin to Fred Thompson? meaning are you related to Fred Thompson? Fred Thompson is a was, he just passed away, famous Tennessean who was a movie a, a TV actor and law and order and a senator. And But no, we weren't akin. We weren't related to Fred Thompson. So it's just kinsman, your relative, a relative, a redeemer. Uh, a kinsman redeemer was a male relative who according to the, the laws of the people of Israel had the privilege and or the responsibility to act for a relative who was in trouble, who was in danger, who was in need of vindication. So we have these two widows who even their very life was likely at risk. And Ruth and Naomi needed that provider, that protector, that deliverer, someone to keep them safe, to give them a future, to give them hope. They needed a redeemer. The interesting thing in this story as we look at this story and we're thinking about Christmas, you know, many centuries later, again in the middle of the night, in the dark, in a barn, in a time of political uncertainty for God's people, in the midst of the poor and the marginalized, our Redeemer was born. So I want to read hand in hand with what we've just read about Ruth, a little bit from the story of the birth of Christ is written in Luke chapter 2, the birth of our Redeemer. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I can imagine. I mean, we read that we've, if we've heard this story before. And they were filled with great fear. No, they were filled with great fear. I have not been sitting on a hillside ever in my life when the sky opened up and there were angels singing and talking to me. Uh, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a major manger. And suddenly there was with that angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the announcement of Jesus' birth brought great words of hope. Fear not, I'm going to bring you joy. It's good news. It's great joy. It's for all people. It's, it's, a, it's peace on earth. God is in the highest, is bringing peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. It's a story of hope. And out of a difficult time, even historically, God was bringing forth the promise of a redeemer. So what do these stories have in common? Well, Ruth is perhaps what we might call in our English classes a foreshadowing of a story that is to come. Uh, more than that, there's just elements of these stories that, that they're just common things that can help us mm, get a glimpse of who God is and who this Redeemer is. I think the first thing, well, three things I see. One is God often... Uh, invades the lives of unlikely people in unlikely places with really unlikely provision. Here are some things I know. Those two widows were unlikely people. First, they were widows. They were marginalized. Second, one of those widows wasn't even of the Jewish nation. She had no, if Naomi had no rights, Ruth had even fewer. And then we, on the other side, we have shepherds. Shepherds were poor. And shepherds were uneducated and they might smell bad. And they weren't those, you think if a king was going to be born, we expect a king to be born in a palace. And yet Christ came to earth. He came to the most unlikely. He came in unlikely places. In both stories, we hear of the middle of the night, at midnight, in the darkest hour. He came in an insignificant town. Both stories set in Bethlehem. And he came unnoticed by most. And then an unlikely provision. Two widows really only hoping not to starve to death. Uh, to glean enough to eat. Were given a greater future. And we'll get more to this as we close out this story next week in chapter 4. But they are, were given a greater future. Greater hope than either of them could imagine. And then Jesus didn't come, an unexpected provision, an unlikely provision. He did not come in the way that his people thought he was going to come. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a ruler. They were looking for maybe a military ruler. They were under the thumb of the nation of Rome and the dominance. And they were looking for a literal deliverance and a restoration of them as a nation. Little did they know the plan that God had for them. So whether it's in the story of Ruth, or any other life story we encounter as we read through the Bible, we're going to encounter, we're going to notice, we're going to see over and over again that God chooses unlikely people in unlikely places, bringing probably an unlikely type of provision. 
And I think if today I thought, oh, wouldn't it be good if we had like an hour and I'd give you each a piece of paper or maybe you could turn because I think each one of us, if we take a minute and we tell our story, I was unlikely. I was an unlikely candidate to even be up here talking to people. Um, I pulled out some of my report cards. My mother saved stuff like that from, so my, not the important ones, like what grade did I get in high school, but I do have like kindergarten and things like that. And every one of my report cards, every teacher talked about how shy I was, that I never talked, that um, I, I knew the answers to the questions. I, I could do my schoolwork, but I was a quiet, shy, timid little girl. The other thing that marked me as a kid, I do not remember this, I just know that I was told this, is I had a squeaky voice. Do I still? I probably still have a squeaky voice. I'm just, we're just all used to it. I had a squeaky voice. Now, as a little kid, a little girl who's shy and timid, and yet when I did speak, there were people in my family and family friends who just made fun of me because my voice squeaked. So I wasn't a likely person. Um, I wanted to be unnoticed. I was one who, if I could have blended into the wall, um, in any social setting, I would have done that. And yet, I, God, I also, well, yeah, anyway, I have too much to say, too little time. And yet, God came into my life and changed and turned my life around. I was an unlikely person. And I bet if you told your story to one another, it might be different, but you can look back and go, how on earth did I ever get to where I am in my journey with knowing and understanding God? Uh, interesting thing, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing his letter to the Corinthians, he says to all of us, you know, consider who you are and remember this, that by the world's standards, you guys weren't wise. Uh, you weren't powerful, you weren't of noble birth. In fact, Paul says, the truth is that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So um, when you start to think more highly of yourself than you ought to, remember Paul's description of each one of us, that God chose us in our foolishness to be ones who might have an impact and change the world. Um, he says, so that no human may boast. Now back to our Redeemer. Our Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, is one who acts on behalf of those in trouble, in danger, in need of vindication. Jesus redeems us because of our great need. What does he do when he redeems us? He makes a grand exchange. When Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless, spotless, and then he died. But he, the, but the de death and the grave could not hold him. Because though what we are owed, what, what, what is, should be ours because of our, our sin, not just the things we do that we would say are bad things, but the very reason in our heart that we think we know better than God and therefore can rule and make her our our own decisions and live the life the way that we want to live, which often then results in doing things that we might call sin. 
Jesus made a grand exchange. He who did live a perfect life took upon, he, he made an exchange. He said, here's my perfect life, Father God, here is my perfect life, and I'm going to give it in exchange. I'm going to redeem. These are better than air miles. These are better than my PC points. This is the great exchange for my very soul that I can stand in confidence before God because Jesus went before us and he redeemed us. He exchanged his perfect life for my flawed and broken and sinful life. Jesus, our redeemer. So I was thinking about Naomi. I'm going to flip back to the beginning of chapter one, just a tiny little bit. And I was thinking about Naomi and I was thinking, I was thinking about her past. Because you know, when we think in terms of our redeemer, Jesus redeems us, exchanges things that were were done by us or to us in our past. And he makes that grand exchange. And Jesus, his, his, that he redeems us from the things we struggle with today, this very day. He provided for that. And also, he, in his role in our lives as being a redeemer, he provided for us a future that we could only imagine, where the Bible tells us that every tear will be wiped away, that all the pain, suffering, sorrow that we face in this broken life, in this broken world, one day everything will be made right as God had created and designed it in the beginning. Sin entered the world, the world was broken, and we live in a broken world, but one day our future hope is uh, life with God as he created it to be. So I was thinking about our past and I was thinking about Naomi's past and I was thinking, I wonder when Naomi returned to Bethlehem and to Judah, what things, what sort of thoughts, what regrets she might have been battling. I was thinking what would be going on in her mind. Ah, We left our country, we left Judah and we left Bethlehem, and my sons actually took wives, Moabite wives. And why did perhaps that was sin? And maybe there was bitterness in her heart. Why did Elimelech lead us into a place where we were going to actually suffer as great a loss as we were suffering remaining in Bethlehem? Because she lived through some trauma. Any good counselor will tell you that one of the greatest traumas all of us in life could face, the loss of a spouse and the loss of children. And she lost them all. She lost her husband and she lost her two children. So she's coming back to Bethlehem with such a sense of her past, the brokenness of her past. So she says things like, Ah, don't call me better. Don't call me Naomi, which means beautiful. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, call me bitter because I think God's forsaken me. So when she turns around and she looks and she sees her sin and her brokenness and the trauma that she's lived in life, uh, sin entered the world, brokenness followed, and yet, the promise of our Redeemer was twofold. One is 
when Paul was writing about Jesus, he, he described him like this. He said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And when Isaiah was writing and, and speaking about the future, before Christ came into the world, one of the things he said, that the spirit of the Lord would be upon him to bind up the brokenhearted. So even before I set foot on this earth, Christ had gone before me to pay that penalty for my sin, but also to be one who was going to invade the brokenness of my life. When sin entered the world, brokenness followed. We sin against others, and we've been sinned against. And that causes often in our life memories of pain and trauma and regret. Uh, counselors, psychologists say that often our trauma, all we have in our mind is a snapshot of an event or a time in our life where something, whether it was abuse or neglect, uh, whether it was... Um, rejection or loss, some kind of trauma. We have that as a photograph, a snapshot in our mind that certain things triggers. And Jesus said he came to, to heal the brokenhearted, to go into those places where when we look at our past, perhaps regret still wants to overshadow us and grab onto our minds and our thoughts. Christmas often can remind us of past hurts. You know, we love to talk about Christmas being a family time, but family isn't always good news to people. Family is often the place from a child on, or maybe um, adult siblings, where hurt and pain and um, hurt and pain and loss can come into our lives. So sometimes for us and for those around us, the Christmas season isn't all about good and warm feelings. And yet we have this reminder of a redeemer who came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus, our redeemer, he traded our sin for his righteousness. He took the punishment for our sin. He was broken for us to bear our brokenness. And as we go on in the story of Ruth, and today we read our present. We were talking, we were, we were, I was thinking of our present and the present rest, I think, that God wants in our hearts. Um, Naomi expressed her heart to Ruth saying, should I not seek rest for you and that it would be well with you? And as we've been proceeding from chapter one and chapter two and now in chapter three, we actually begin to see Naomi's confidence in God growing from saying, just call me bitter because God's rejected me, to saying, perhaps God has provision for us here. First, perhaps we can just eat the basic of provision. And then perhaps this man, Boaz, will fulfill the law of God in our lives and redeem us and save us. Uh, What do we feel? What do we, sometimes we fail to live fully in the present. What do I mean by that? Sometimes today, this very day, two things happen in my own heart and soul. I can be haunted or I can have a lot of regret about my past or I can be consumed with worries for tomorrow. Um, when we were moving, when we were 
made our decision to move from Nashville to Toronto. It was about a 16-month journey from the time we made our decision till the time our moving truck pulled away. And in my um, laundry room, I had this book. It's not fancy. For some reason, I kept tearing pages out of it, so it's really thin. They were probably grocery lists. But, you know, in that season, I had a lot of worries, a lot of fears. And sometimes trying to live today to its fullest was next to impossible because my, my worry about what the future was going to hold for me and for Bert and for our four children would just mess with my mind. And so I'd go into the laundry room because there was nothing I could do about some of the things because I didn't have answers to the questions because how many people know that sometimes um, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There are things, there are things I don't know. Uh, some of them might be what happens if um, I don't get the grade I'm hoping for in school. Sometimes they might be things like, what happens if I don't get that promotion or that job or my visa to travel or to move to another country doesn't come through? Things that we can't solve today, we can't get the answer to, and yet it holds us back from living today like we're supposed to live. Um, so I made this thing in my laundry room, this book, and every time I felt just like consumed by worry and fear and um, which was probably almost every day, there would be something. <gasps> what about health insurance? <gasps> what about how are we going to get our cars across the border? Um, you could make your own and your own list of things in life. I would go into my laundry room and I'd pull out a pen and I would just write that thing down in that book. And I would say, Jesus, I don't know, but you know. And I might not have used the word redeemer, but, you know, it was that sense of you've gone before me and you know and you have my future in your hand. And the amazing thing about Naomi, what she didn't know was what God's provision for her was going to be. But she still took steps of faith towards his purpose for her. Something inside of her went, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm going to do everything that I can to walk into the provision and the promise that God has for me. So I had my worry book. You know, sometimes it's financial pressures. I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill or um, come up with that rent. Sometimes it's things as a parent worries about our children. What if this or what if that? Sometimes it's a long-term heaviness, depression or anxiety that just weighs us down. The brokenness of our life from the from our past and from the future, from our worries about the future that can rob us, can steal living today to the fullest. Uh, one more quick story as we come to an end here. Just um, my journey in the last three months. From September, I went and I did my regular physical thing uh, that you should do every year. And you went to the doctor and they did all the blood tests and all the other things that men and women and or women do uh, tests. Never mind, we won't go into all of those, but I did them all. And um, in my blood work, when I went back to get my results from the doctor and my blood work, she and everything else, she's going, this is great, and this looks great, and this looks good. This isn't quite so good, but we already knew about that. And, um, and she said, but there's something here in your blood that I'm concerned about. <laughs> um, and she said, but it's nothing to worry about. Now, I'm sorry, but when the doctor tells you there's nothing to worry about, what do we do? We worry. So she said, there's nothing to worry about, but I want to do one more blood test. Uh, yeah, one more blood test was five, I mean, five, five vials of blood. Um, so 
I went home, and of course, I do what I did. What every good non-medical professional does. I took the word ferritin because that's what she told me I had too much of, and I googled it. Yeah. Uh, well, it was not good news. And even though she said, I think because of all your other tests, you're probably in really good health, I just want to check this out. Don't worry about it. Somebody needs to plug their phone in. <laughs> um, I, you know what I did? I went home and I lost sight of God's protection and care for me in the past, God's promise for me in the future, and God's ability to even take me through if one of those many things that could have been wrong with me really was, came up and one of those tests were positive, could I believe that even in one of those dark moments that I had a redeemer who had gone before me and who would see me through this? So I went and gave five more vials of blood and she said, it's still inconclusive, but don't worry. I don't think there's anything wrong, uh-huh. But I'm gonna send you four. And I went for an ultrasound. So this has now been from the middle of September until Thursday, when finally the doctor said, yeah, there's nothing wrong. Um, but here's what I think you need to do. Give blood once a year because your ferritin levels are too high and this will. But, but you know in, the, in that, the course of that time in between, it was so easy not to live the day that God had given me. This day, this is the day that Lord, the Lord has made. This one, live in this one. It was so easy in my mind to worry about. I started thinking, true confessions here. I started thinking, um, okay, none of our children are married, and I have no grandchildren. And I haven't even told Bert this, but... I was going to go to the yarn store and make baby blankets for all of the grandchildren that I was never going to see because I might not live long enough. And you can laugh, but you know there's things in your life where you've done the exact same thing, where you've lost sight of God and who he is and his protection for our present and his provision to live this day. And finally, our future hope. So we have a redeemer who's covered our past. We have a redeemer who provides for our present. And we have a redeemer who ultimately works for our good and has given us a hope beyond hope. You know, God created the world perfect. Sin entered the world along with it brokenness. But the promise of the Bible, of the word of God, is one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the way, the perfection with which God had intended creation from the start will be restored. And we'll live in a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not going to... I used to think I would be like a disembodied spirit floating around singing holy, 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 and yes, there'll be some singing and some worship, but God has things. God made work and gave human beings thing to, things to do before sin entered the world. So we have a glorious future, our future hope. So let's go back to Naomi as we close. Hope was rising in Naomi's heart. We see a different Naomi from the, how destitute she was to saying, perhaps, perhaps there will be a redeemer for us. Go, my daughter-in-law to a woman who had that twinkle of hope in her eye, perhaps there will be a redeemer. And Naomi acted on that hope. Little did she know that before too long, Boaz would redeem 
and I'm getting into next week, but it's just too good not to. Boaz would redeem, and he would marry Ruth, and they, she would give birth to a son, and that son would be the grandfather of David, the greatest king who ever ruled in Israel. And in the lineage of David, Christ would be born. So we have a kinsman redeemer. He came to earth and he lived as a man so he could be that near relative. He says he, he, he doesn't mind calling us brother. He came and he lived as a man so he would qualify. He would be that near relative. He was willing. He was willing to take our sin and our brokenness upon himself. And he was able, because he lived the life that we could never live, he could be that spotless one who could sacrifice for us. So the, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus, our savior. And I want to close today just with one scripture, one passage from the book of Isaiah chapter nine, because it is Christmas. And because many times we hear this, we've heard, maybe you never have, but I hope you have. And if you haven't here today, you're going to. A promise from Isaiah of the savior who was to come, who Jesus, who was going to come. And here it is just a little part about our redeemer. For unto us, for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Speaking of Jesus, our Redeemer to come, who would be the one who could counsel our souls, the, the mighty God who could set us free, the everlasting Father who would love us to the depths like no one had ever loved us before, and the Prince of Peace who would give us peace concerning our past, our present, and our future hope. Let's pray together. Father, as we are in the midst of this Christmas season and reflecting on the one Jesus, who is our Redeemer, who purchased us, who when we could not save or help ourselves, came. And we pray as we reflect this Christmas season on who you are, that we would take within ourselves a sense of what you've done to cover and pay for our past, of what you've done to provide for us in this day, and of the the future hope that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.